Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. Welcome back to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. What a, a fantastic conversation we just had about Queen Bee Syndrome. And if you don't know what that is, well, you'll just have to go to cliffcentral.com to download the podcast. Um, and yeah, you'll find it there. Cluby, who are we talking to next? You know, every time this uh, superstar comes into studio, everybody must come in and shake hands and just be aware of his presence. And we are privileged, as always, to have Dr. D. Martini in studio with us, uh, gracing us with his presence right here on Future CEOs. Human behavior specialist, leadership and performance expert, author and business consultant, founder of D. Martini Institute. And I'm sorry, the, and, probably one of the busiest people we know, <laughs> traveling all the time. I think Almost, you can say almost year round you're traveling uh, and you were just saying that you've come here from Scotland. You've been here for a few days. What have you done while you've been here in South Africa? Well, since I've been here, I've been blessed to do um, two talks already and also quite a few interviews. And um, this morning it was on entrepreneurship. Okay, lovely. Last night it was on increasing your deserve level and increasing your self-worth so you can receive and feel comfortable asking for what you want in life. Ah, interesting, especially with our conversation last week, which was we must know our worth so that we charge appropriately. We, we're pricing Price ourselves. ourselves appropriately. Okay, in, in, nice. Until we value ourselves, oh, Dr. D. <laughs> we can't expect other people to value us. Very nice. Very, very nice. But that's not what we're talking about today, though. But welcome. It's always good to have you. You're one of our favorite you friends. You are our favorite friend. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being here. Today we're talking about fear, though, right? And fear from top executives. Now, I'm pretty sure that everyone that's listening out there says, no, I'm not, I don't have any fear. I'm, I'm fearless when I'm in a particular kind of environment, but that's not true. Libby, when, when are you afraid? All the time. No, that's not true. <laughs> you know what? You just think that, you know, people in executive positions and CEOs that are fearless and they've got nothing to hide from, nothing to run from, they've got no insecurities, but nothing could be further from the truth. Am I right, Dr. D? You're absolutely correct. Um, you know, people ask me, Dr. Martini, do you ever have a fear of speaking? And I say, no, I don't have a fear of speaking. I have a fear of not speaking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I uh, believe you. <laughs> so, because I love speaking. But everyone has something that gives them fears. That's just life, part of the, part of the journey. And fear is really a feedback mechanism to make sure that we're setting goals that are authentic mm. and that are constructed in such a way that they're reasonable. If we set an impossible goal, like I want to be always up, never down, always positive, never negative, always be kind, never cruel, one-sided world, it's like trying to expect a magnet with one side. Mm. And so we're going to have the fear of not living up to that expectation because we've set up kind of a philia to breed that phobia. And another one is something that's improbable. We're setting a goal that's not really aligned with who we really are, mm. that we've injected by comparison, comparing ourselves to other people and expecting ourselves to be somebody we're not. Yes. Mm. And this leads to an anxiety and fear. Yes. And the other one is a goal that's unstrategized. Okay, very nice. So that means nice we haven't because. chunked it down into small enough bites yes. so we can take action on it. Yes. A lot of procrastination, hesitation, and frustration in people's lives is because they haven't chunked big dreams down into small enough bites where they can overcome those and those little steps. And, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And if you break things down to small enough bites and don't expect overnight 
achievement, but meticulous little incremental changes towards a long-term vision. Mm. These are the people that end up transcending many of their fears. And I can't help but smile because I can't help but see myself in that. Uh, I mean, (laughs) how many times have I set goals Mm. and it just, I, I either procrastinate or I don't achieve and there's an element of fear. Why? Because I've just not done the basics correctly. I haven't, I haven't chunked it down as you've, as you've rightly said. But uh, can I just ask, is fear then, um, and you, you've already answered the question, but maybe we must go a little bit more into it. Is it always about expectation? Uh, so is it always outside of us and then that makes us fearful? Well, there are two primary fears that are primordial in the human experience. Okay. And they come really from our animal part of our brain. And the fear is the fear of loss of that which we seek. And the other fear is the fear of the gain of that which we try to avoid. Okay, say that last one again. The fear of... The fear... Well, we have two fears. The fear of the loss of that which we seek. Sure. I can understand that one. Let's imagine an an animal searching for prey. Mm. And uh, maybe a, a lion after a gazelle. So the lion would have a fear of losing the prey. Yeah, that, and that one's starvation. Easy, easy one too. And the other one is the fear of the predator eating them, the fear of gain of that which they are trying to avoid. Okay. So those are the two primary fears. So all of our fears boil down to things we're frightened of losing that we're attached to and infatuated with, or the fear of gaining those things that we're frightened of that are that are negative and challenging to us. Those are the two primary fears. Fear is an assumption that we're about to experience in the future through our memories, through our imagination or our senses that we're going to have a loss without a gain, a negative without a positive, a pain without a pleasure. And that's because of those two primordial fears, basic fears. And so most of the time, our fears are a result of our philias, our fantasies Mm -hmm. that we set for ourselves. So, for instance, if you look very commonly, people have a fear of speaking. I think we've talked about this before, fear of speaking up in front of people. But the only reason they have a fear of speaking up in front of people is because they're assuming that the people out in the audience are not going to accept, are not going to accept them and that their opinions of those people are more important than their own opinion of themselves. Mm. And they're frightened of comparing themselves to them and thinking that they have more knowledge or they're Mm. more successful or they have more wealth. Remember we had this conversation, Gary. Mm. Yes. So those fears are a result of those fantasies. That we've made out of other people. So fear is an, imagine, an, an imaginary thing. We, we have created it. We, we create it because uh, it, it's an assumption that there's going to be a negative without a positive in the future. Mm, very nice. You know what? When we did a bit of research, apparently the CEOs, the top executives, their fears are losing reputation, underachieving, imposter syndrome, um, appearing vulnerable, dying literally and in your career. Um, appearing youthful and not making money. I would agree with that. Can Those, you can you see the? Yes, I, I have to share the a story. connection. Yes, please, we love stories. I was consulting on Park Avenue with a head of a large financial company, and he was just closing his time there after twenty eight years, mm. and he was about to be inaugurated into the chancellor of a major university. Mm. So he was going to retire, in a sense, from one career path and now go into this new one. And so I, my consult was with him, and, and he had a very high profile. He was a very wealthy man, very high profile position, and would be considered a leading leader in the industry. 
certainly someone that wouldn't wouldn't have any kind of fear. Well, you, you well, if you didn't consult with people like that, you would assume that. Yes. But if you get to know them, you realize that they just have their next fear. No, exactly. And um, his fear was the that the people in the university was going to discover that he didn't know what the hell he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and, and then what was amazing is that the only reason he was achieving is when he had the skill of not knowledge, but the skill of gathering teams that are great performers. Mm. That was his skill. Mm. And so I said, instead of having to fear, let's go build a new team for the, for the university. And when he looked at that, he goes, oh, that's so obvious. Sure. But I was afraid that they would discover that I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm good at gathering people who do. Mm. So he was now in the fear that they were going to discover that he was not really competent. But I explained to him, I said, but if you can put together a, a team, team that can create a massive change in the world, then that is a thing that can be honored for. Mm. You don't have to know it all yourself. You just need to know to get the people that know it. Mm. And that's, but he had a fear that they would discover that he really didn't know a whole lot of stuff. Mm. He just knew how to manage people and gather the right people and he was a good leader in that respect. Mm, very, very nice. Part of the the research that we did do, there was an element of um, a fear around speaking up in meetings. Even the CEOs, even senior executives, fear to speak up. What is that? Where does that come from? Well, they're they're afraid of now going on record many times mm. uh, and saying something that doesn't turn out to be the long term uh, accuracy. Sure. So they're, 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 they're having to look through a crystal ball and, and people assume that they have the ability to see the future. In some cases, they can create the future, mm. but they don't always see that. And so sometimes they have the same anxiety to a board because their board can make their decisions. I just worked with a gentleman in, in California and in, in, um, right there in Beverly Hills there the other day who was running his company for 22 years, had a board that was questioning his direction. Mm. Mm. And here he is, he's founded the company, mm. but he's now got 49%. Mm. And they can exit him. Sure. Mm. So he was in fear of the social implications, mm. the fear of the economic implications, the fear of the internal social implications of the people in the company. You know, what would happen if all of a sudden he wasn't there? He yeah. felt like he was letting them down. Yeah. He had just multiple fears sitting on top of him. Feeding his fantasy. Feeding his, well, his fantasy of what he should be doing in his mind. Sure. But at the same time, um, concerning about his own livelihood, too. Mm-hmm. He, had, know, he had a multiple fear. But you know what, Dr. D, rejection is just brutal. It's just brutal for any human, no matter how successful or how um, authentic you are. You know, nobody ever wants to be rejected. So what well, do you have to say about rejection? You, what you do is you take – they now have uh, Donald Trump vitamins you can take for that. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you buy said vitamins? I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> but I, I had a, an opportunity to work with a gentleman. This is a very interesting case. And this is something that people in government and major corporations face that are public companies or public uh, offices. Here's a gentleman. I'm not going to give away names or who this is, but Here's a gentleman that runs a major corporation. Okay, it's known worldwide. And um, he, his wife is the one that actually asked me to work with him. And he was in a situation where he was about to have a downturn in his company. It's a public company. The quarterly reports, if he declared the facts on the quarterly reports, he might have to lay off two to 3,000 people. Yeah, that's big. And he... 
knew and believed that he could turn the company around in the next quarter. He knew what to do. Now he's in a moral dilemma. Mm. If I turn the company around and I fudge the numbers, I'm being unethical. Mm. But then the, the unethicalness of that compared to the unethicalness of having to lay 3,000 people or 2,000 people off, a loss of stock prices to the stockholders, shareholders. Yeah, and sentiment then the fuels sentiment, this thing. Yeah. And then having to rehire people and trying to find people and do, mm. go through all that. Mm. He says, now I'm in a moral dilemma. Do I distort the numbers mm. and turn this thing around? And if I successfully do it, no one will ever know. Do I re- declare this thing with total integrity? And, and run the risk of losing jobs for people and shareholders and have a repercussion that way and probably get leave my position. Mm. These are major decisions sure. that are moral dilemmas that people have to live with. And he had fear. Mm. He had a fear of the moral com- complications and he had a fear of the social complications and the economic complications and his own image. Now, we worked with that for two solid days to be able to make his decision. I'm not going to give you that decision, but he, sure. he he had to make a decision. We had to dissolve those fears for him to make a wise decision. It turned out that he was able to salvage the company mm. and not have any problems, mm. but he had to go through a moral dilemma to do it. Mm. And this is something that people in government and people in corporations face. Big companies have to face daily. It's interesting because sometimes I guess we, we oversimplify things, and this is just an illustration of how complex uh, our fears can be and how multi-layered they can be and why I guess these kinds of interventions, the, the things that you do is so important. Well, you'd be you? surprised how how the, the amygdala area of the brain, which is sort of a primitive part of the brain, comes real surfacing in some individuals that are major leaders. I worked with another one in uh, Australia. It was a very leading bank. And um, one of the, the CEOs of that bank was in a, another moral dilemma. He had been on a roll for three and a half years. He was the hero. He's on the front cover of magazines. Mm. He was the hero of making the biggest banking system. And then all of a sudden, the banking industry turned down. And his company started nosediving. And almost all the banks but one bank all went down. One bank was the one that was stable and, and still maintaining. And he had spent three and a half years ridiculing that bank way of managing. Wow. But now it's the one that's sustaining, and now he's backpedaling and now caught in, a, again, a moral paradox. I've just led my team for three and a half years telling him, I, I, we don't want to do this. And now if I don't do this, I may lose my team mm. and lose the business. So he's now going, I'm having to eat my words, or I'm having to come up with an alternative plan. Now, we, did a, we were able to come up with an alternative plan in the long run. And he was able to turn the company around. But he was faced with the fear of what people would say if they read the articles and looked back and then got in the media and, and him doing exactly the opposite of what he said he was going to do back then. Mm-hmm. So these are these are moral dilemmas that people live in fear on, on major corporations and organizations daily. Let's talk how we overcome our fears, how we approach our fears. I think emotional intelligence is an A game. What do you think? What do you think? Gary? Well, I'm giving you a thumbs up. Let's see what uh, the doctor says. <laughs> well, fear because fear is an imbalanced perspective. It's an you know, if if I handed you a magnet and I and I said the magnet has a positive negative pole, 
and and you would say it. And, it, and if I chopped it in half, I'd have positive, negative, positive, negative. Mm. If I chopped them in half, I'd have positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, negative. Sure. I cannot separate positive, negative. Mm. So anytime you have a life, you have both sides. There's always two sides to things. And sometimes we have uh, the wisdom of the ages to see both sides, and we calm and we're centered. And other times we don't see both sides, and we assume the worst or the best. If we assume the worst, we get into phobia. If we assume the best, we get into philia. One is a nightmare, one is a fantasy. Mm, mm, mm. And so what happens is the second we are able to balance our mind, both the philias and the phobias dissolve. And so what I do is I ask questions that bring balance to the mind and liberate them from the imbalances of those emotions, and we bring reason back and override the emotional reactions. Okay, I need you to balance my mind. I've gone now twice to do a pitch both times the pitch was horrible. Somehow I'm still in the program. So maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe that's the balance point. But uh, uh, I can speak to a thousand people. No problem. Libby has seen a little bit of, of our interaction with audiences. But to stand in front of a panel of three people to pitch a, to pitch future CEOs essentially to try and get some, some support. It was a social entrepreneurial thing that we were involved in. Th- that left me dry mouthed and, and umming and eyeing. Uh, terribly so that's twice now i have reason to suspect <laughs> that the third time is not going to go any better help me please well i'm, I'm guessing because i don't know all the details sure. but i would i would say that in all probability either the people on the panel you somehow assumed had clout that you didn't have sure. and could make a decision that could sure. jeopardize your future and so you had an anxiety of what they could decide sure or, and that means that somehow, what I do in that situation, if I was to work with you right before you went into that, mm. I would immediately go in there and look at the three individuals on the panel and ask the question, what specific traits, actions, or inactions do they display or demonstrate that you look up to and you think that they have that you don't have? Okay. As and, individuals then? Yes. And and is it economic? Uh, is it business? Is it savvy? Is it experience? Is it intelligence? Is it uh, social influence? Find out what it is and then ask yourself where and when do you demonstrate and display that same trait and keep doing that until you can see that you have it the same quantity and quality of that trait as they do. Okay. And then when you do, you've leveled the playing field. You walk in and you have a good time talking to them. Yeah. And then suddenly you can actually just have a conversation. You just have a conversation. I do that. I do that for actors. I do that for people in sports, a boxer recently. Mm. Um, because they're about to go out there and they assume they have a competitive advantage over them. Once we find out what that competitive advantage is in their mind and find out where they have theirs that's equal, mm. they go in there and they've leveled the playing field. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you for leveling my playing field. I feel better. Libby, how so, do you feel? This is a good conversation. It's a great it's conversation. conversation. Um, more approaches to overcoming fears, Dr. D. Well, there's a thing in the brain called desensitization. Okay. Just like an allergy. Uh, you, you, you consume something after a while, you don't react to it as much. Mm. Walking through your fears and actually facing your fears automatically make you realize that they weren't what you thought. You, you had an assumption that there was going to be way more craziness than you actually received. So you're talking about in real life going out there and chasing it or are we talking about you know, sitting at home on your couch imagining that this is what's one, going to be happening? Either okay. one can serve you. Okay. Because if you actually go in there, you desensitize to that assumption. Uh, I, I remember when I was very, very young, I think I was two, three maybe, and I remember I was afraid of going into my room at night with a light off, and I and my dad 
uh, walked me to my room. Well, walked me to the, the hallway across from my room. And he said, now, we're going to practice. We're going to cut the light on. We're going to practice running into the room and turning the light on and um, at a very fast clip. So I literally would run, turn the light on, and then have this plastic sword in my hand. Okay. And and he trained me, and he says, walk through the darkened doorway where fear lurks and actively turn on the light. And he made me say that over and over again. And then I would practice doing that like I was a superhero. And after a while, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was like, come on, guys. Bring it. Come on. Bring, bring it, it on. Bring it on. So I rehearsed. The, the response That's and with behavioral modification, I rehearsed the response and all of a sudden I was prepared. Mm. So a lot of times when you're not prepared for a presentation, you have anxiety, but yes. if you're prepared, you're not a problem. Yes. So walk through the dark one doorway where fear lurks and act, they turn on the light. Mm. Oh, very, very nice. Libby, we're running out of time here. Do you have, uh, what's your, what's your most important fact or question that you want to raise at this point? Uh, gosh, I just want to be in an environment whereby I can just be myself and be authentic and honestly just do my best and with no fear, fearless, you know, and I like to call myself fearless, but I think that is a systematic state of mind as you presented to us today and just um, a consciousness of um, your future and your vision. Well, I, I think we have, we have two things we have governance over. Yeah. Well, actually three. We have we have governance over our perceptions. Yeah. We have governance over our actions. Yeah. We have governance over our decisions. Mm. And anytime we're setting a goal that we have an anxiety about, just know we have those three things. We always have the ability to alter. Okay. It is never what happens to it. It's how we perceive it, what we decide to do with it, and how we act upon it. Mm. So when we have a fear, we can change our perception of it by asking what's the benefit if it was to happen and what would be the drawback if I didn't experience it sure. and neutralize it. We can make a decision to uh, prepare in advance for it so there's no anxiety or mm. decide to do something totally different where we don't even go after it. Mm. Or we can take an action and cure the fear through an action by repeatedly doing it until all of a sudden there's nothing there to be anxious about. Mm. When you're dealing with an actor who's about to do a, a audition, they have the, if they haven't been in acting you know, for three or four months and they haven't had an income and they're really desperate, sure. mm. uh, they're, they're anxious and not getting the deal. Mm. So anytime you're the underdog and you're going into a situation where you don't have options, you mm. put that fear higher. Mm. So my, my advice is to uh, walk through the darkened doorway and, and take action on your fears. Bring it. Most, Bring it most, on. Most of them dissolve away as you approach them. I like the fact that you must just go to a place where you have control being control in that place, and we, you've now listed those those elements, and then that really addresses your fear. It's amazing how we have these conversations with Dr. Demartini on an ongoing basis. I mean, he really is one of our favorite friends, and we always walk out more empowered. How are you feeling? And just Debbie? calm, and just like, yeah, I got it going on. I got yeah, it no, going on. Exactly, and it's it's normal to be to have fear. What isn't normal is to have irrational fear or to Let it on, consume an, you. on an ongoing basis not address the right points so that fear can be can be pushed down. And, and one thing I, I'd like to say is if you I always say start with what you know and let what you know grow in life. Start mm. with your core competence and, and, and stay with your core competence and let that expand mm. naturally. Mm. And you reduce the probability of unneeded fears. Mm. When you try to exaggerate yourself, you very often get humbled. Mm. But if you go in there and, and, and Love if, that. if you're selling an idea or a product or a service, if you sell the truth, you don't have a fear. 
you selling the truth and you can be authentic. So I always say the most powerful you is the authentic you and the magnificence of who that is is greater than any fantasy you'll ever impose on yourself. It's a remarkable... It's a, uh, <laughs> I, the only thing is, I mean, even being authentic is, an, is a, a, you can be fearful of that. You, you can really concern yourself around it and it's probably unnecessary. Uh, Dr. Demartini, it's been great to have you here again. We're, we're so appreciative of the ongoing knowledge and wisdom that you share and Thank you for traveling and teaching so much so that the rest of us can benefit from it. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show again. Thank you. We love you and your authenticity. So thank you so much. And especially giving up your busy schedule to come spend an hour or two or three or four with us on Future CEOs every single Thursday. Thank you. All right. We'll be back same time, same place next week. And we hope you have a good week. Go out and fear not. Perhaps that's the way we can end today. See you next week. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.